0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. We have uh, one more announcement to make. This is David Valier. I have known David, I don't know, maybe 15 years, maybe more. And um, he and Ellery and their kids have been coming to the church here for a while, but we've known each other for a long time and he has an announcement to make and i think it's going to be uh something really special yeah.
1: well first of all i just want to say i love robin uh how many of you guys love robin i mean gosh it's like one of my favorite people in the world uh and second uh i want to say i love queen city church it's been such a place honestly like from the bottom of my heart and robin I'll, I'll tell you this too like just to see how my wife and my kids come alive here is it's just huge for me and oh, it's just it's just awesome by the way the reason you don't see my kids today is one of them is sick, and so they're back at home. But usually it's the crazy one running around, you know, dancing. That's my, that's my son, Johan. So anyway, um, but I've got <laughs> something really exciting to announce to you guys. Um, we are actually going to be starting something called Wild Love Worship Room here once a month uh, on the third Thursday of every month. Uh, and it's going to be really amazing. So I'll break it down to you just really quickly what this is, is, is it's exactly what it sounds like. It is a worship room. We're going to be for three hours just ministering to the Lord. How many of you guys love to worship? Uh, and, and that's literally all it's going to be. Uh, we are just going to open this up. And by the way, it's not just for Queen City Church. This is for the surrounding areas. And, and just in us announcing it a few days ago, I mean, the response has been low-key overwhelming. I'm not really sure exactly what to expect, but what I do expect is that the heart of god is going to be ministered to and nothing excites me more than that uh and so that's what we're going to gather to do and we uh we really want to make it clear we want you to bring your families like let the kids come let them run around let it be pure tea worship chaos with the kids we want that Mm -hmm. we want to we want them to to be in that atmosphere and so again october 20th on thursday from 6 to 9 p.m we're going to be worshiping here and then every other third thursday of the month uh, we're going to be doing this. And so we are just so stoked. And by the way, from 6 to 7, it'll be a little bit more contemplative, you know, focusing on scriptures. And then from 7 to 9, it's going to be full on, you know, just let's go worship. We're just going to go for it. We want expression, creativity, all that stuff. And so we, we're just really excited. And thank you, Robin, for making yeah. this available. Also, David was telling me you don't have to come for the whole thing. Yeah. You can come in for any part of it. Come in, come out. Any way you like. Yeah, it's very, it's very much so. If you want to come for 15 minutes, an hour, all three hours, you can. But it's really meant to just, where you can just come, soak in, love on Jesus, and then go home. So it's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. Yes. Thank you, David.
0: <laughs> Wild Love is actually um, a ministry of David's and Chris Uptegraff and a number of other people. And... They ask us if we would open our building and let them come do that here. So we're not trying to make this really um, a Queen City thing. We want it to be a wild love thing where David can touch um, and the Lord can touch as many people as he wants to. So tell your friends, um, no pressure, something might happen. You know, stuff happens sometimes. I know one thing the Lord wants to do. He wants to just radically save some people. He's tired of just average salvations. <laughs> he wants to really grab. God wants to really change people. You know, we see people change by increments, but sometimes they get radically changed. I believe the Lord wants to do that. What I'm speaking on today is our our fall series called The Easy Burden, The Joys and Challenges of Knowing Jesus. But this one in particular called The Easy Burden, Yoked to Kindness. And one of the things I've learned from the Lord over these years and about the Lord is how kind he is. And I think he gets a terrible, terrible rap People that don't understand there's evil in the world that comes from the devil that doesn't come from God wind up blaming God from everything that happens to them, and it's wrong. It's simply wrong. There's evil in the world because God felt the highest way was to give people a choice to love it's a choice, and if you can got a choice, you can make the wrong one, and I think that in a nutshell, in a very simplistic way, is the reason there are some things that go on in the world that are awful. But God didn't do it. Look to somebody and say, he didn't do it. He didn't do it. He's kind. Um, I want to look, hopefully, at five different interactions women had with Jesus all of this is focusing on the relationship Jesus had with um, with women and how he responded to them. And I think it's really going to touch all of our hearts each time he actually demonstrates his kindness. Um, and when I look at the scriptures and see how Jesus treated people in uh, so many different situations so well, it really inspires me to trust him. And so once again, we're going to read Matthew, um, added a couple of verses. We're going to read 25 through 30 to give some context. Um, so everybody ready to read this? You see it on the screen up there, don't you? Yes. Good for you. That means, uh, that's good. Um, then Jesus exclaimed, Father, thank you for you, our Lord, the supreme ruler over heaven and earth, and you have hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and think they're wise and unveiled it instead to little children. Yes, Father, you've chosen this gracious plan to extend your kingdom. Pay attention here to verse 27. You have entrusted me with all that you are And all that you have. No one fully and intimately knows the son except the father. And no one fully and intimately knows the father except the son. All right. Let's read this last part of this verse together. But the son is able to unveil the father to anyone he chooses. What does the next verse say? Come to me. <laughs> we'll find rest to Peter. Out, rest to your soul. <laughs> For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and my ability to read simultaneously in a crowd is bad. (laughs) Here's the point I want to make. Jesus says he is sole responsible entity who, number one, knows God the Father clearly, number two, will reveal him to anyone he wants to, then he offers what invitation? Come to me. Come to me. What does that mean? It means anyone within the sound of my voice should hear Jesus' personal invitation to be one of those that come to him so that he can reveal to you what the Father is really like. He can unveil the Father to anyone he chooses. Then he gives us this invitation. Come to me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. I'll give you rest. I'm gentle and I will refresh you. And that is not the way most people would describe Jesus. That he refreshes people. That he's gentle. That he's humble. But we need to answer this invitation this morning again. To come to him. Let's say this, Lord, we're going to come to you. Come, oh, we come to you, Jesus. Let's say that together. We come to you, Jesus. Father, open our eyes. Kim was saying that this morning. Take off our eyes, off the eyes of our heart, anything that keeps us from seeing you accurately, Lord reading Psalm 1835, which says, You have also given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness and condescension have made me great. So we hear the psalmist actually basically cry out, Your kindness has made me great. I've thought about this too. Kindness is an apostolic characteristic. Paul lists it as the characteristic of someone who's been called into even that ministry of the apostle. You see, one of the things we think about sort of high level, particularly men, maybe women too, I don't know, but men of God is kindness is not one of the first words you would use when you describe them, but it should be. Jesus was way more kind than I think we understand. Well, the first time I spoke on the easy burden, I referenced... Um, Turning water into wine at the wedding in Cana, and as I have revisited that, I have once again discovered the kindness of God in an exchange with His mother, where it actually seems like Jesus is being rude instead of kind. But I don't want—I want us to look at that at first. So, if you have something to turn to, this is in John uh, chapter two, verses one. I won't read all of them. Um, but this is the wedding at Cana when Jesus turned water into wine. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding and when they ran out of wine the mother of Jesus said to him four words. They have no wine. Say that with me. They have no wine. She didn't say Jesus, they have no wine. She didn't say, Jesus, you need to do something about this. They'll have no wine. All she said was, they have no wine. And Jesus said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. That's the way I used to read that. (laughs) I could think about (laughs) when I was growing up as a kid. I'd come through the kitchen. My mother would say, the trash can is full. I'd say, woman, (laughs) what does your concern have to do with me? Not my time to take out the trash. You would have heard two smacks. (laughs) Me and then on the floor. Well, you know what happened. Mary, God bless Mary. She had to be a tiger, ladies and gentlemen. She just turns away from Jesus and says to, uh, to the servant, she says, whatever he says to you, do it. She ain't blink. That's pretty awesome. And then the rest of history turns water into wine. And um, the finest wine saves the day for the wedding party, impress the matter of ceremonies on how fine the wine was. And the Bible said he manifested his glory, the glory of God through this first official um, sign. And what the glory of God is, in essence, is the goodness of God. The glory of God is somehow the manifested goodness of God. And it manifested here in this tremendous miracle that Jesus did. But I've always been intrigued with that conversation between Jesus and his mother. Because it really it triggered his first great public miracle, but it almost seems like on the surface that jesus was was being rude but um if you read other translations, for instance, if you read the Passion translation, it gives us really a different perspective in the passion translation, that verse woman." Reads this way, my dear one, say that with me, my dear one. So it's not woman, it's my dear one. He said, don't you understand that if I do this, nothing will change for you, but everything changes for me. That's what Jesus was saying. My hour of unveiling my power has not yet come. My dear one, say that again, my dear one. Now that's the way Jesus would address his mother. Even in sort of, um. you can clearly say a difference of opinion at this specific point. But Jesus appeals to his mother in kindness, not rebuke. And using the term woman, the way he used it was the way Jews showed women the greatest respect tenderness and concern my dear one and it's also apparent that during his conversation with his mother his time had come Ha! that's pretty cool could jesus have been wrong i don't think he was wrong but i think his mother knew something jesus father hadn't revealed to him yet could that happen you know, Jesus was not omni-knowledgeable in the flesh, right? He had to have words of knowledge. He didn't know everything always about everything. Um. But it's apparent that in that conversation with his mother, his time had come. Obviously, he did the miracle. And let me be so bold to suggest that Mary's concern for the wedding couple who would be humiliated before their guests by running out of wine, somehow overruled Jesus' own sense of timing. That is so mysterious to me and so intriguing. The thing I love about the Bible is you can't figure it out. You know, if you saw a magician do a great trick, you know how long you would be interested in that magician until you could figure out how and why he did what he did and then... And, and that's the way it is with the Lord. I'm so intrigued about some of this. He doesn't act like I think he should act. But something changed. Although Jesus said, my hour has not yet come, something instantly changed in the midst of Jesus and Mary's conversation. Let me say this. Dear ladies, speak to the women this morning. Never underestimate your ability to inspire your children and others to engage their destiny. Come on. And woman, come on, my dear one. And it's so interesting to me that even after Jesus' response to his mother, Mary says to the servants, servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. What did that mean? She wasn't backing off. You know, let me say this, and this is probably heretical. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But it's probably not. What, What if you need to not take no for an answer sometime with the Lord? You ever considered that option? Not taking no for an answer? Or you can be in the, if it be your will crowd and never see anything that's go on. Uh-oh. Hey, if I get sick, I don't want the, if it be your will crowd, come pray for me. I want that God heals everybody at all times crowd, come lay hands on me. Right? Right? You know, there's a crazy thing. More people get healed that I pray for than I ignore. Shalom (laughs) alaikum. Okay. Whatever he says you do it, that's called faith. Mary's going, I know you're the son of God. I was there when you were born. I know how you were conceived. I know some stuff too. I'm sticking to my guns. You are going to turn this water into wine. And all of that was packed. And this is what mama does. All that was packed in four words. No more wine. That's three words. What was the other one? They have whatever. But some ladies can put a whole lot in a little bit. And it'll reach you. That's good. So no matter how you understand this particular situation, Jesus' response to his mother was infused with kindness. And I believe that this exchange between Jesus and mother really demonstrates the will of God being worked out in real life, real time, live, in person. And we have that awesome, uh, wedding of Cana narrative to tell us that. But it was, the, it, it was this, Though Jesus was saying no to Mary's request, albeit very kindly, until Jesus himself realized heaven or headquarters was saying yes. And he got that green light. So, oh, I better hurry. The next one is out of John 8. And here's the amazing thing. I want to make this point to, to ladies. Every one of these episodes I'm going to share this morning are in the Gospel of John. And there's something something that was in the heart of John that had more to say about the relationship between Jesus and women than any of the other authors. And, and uh, we'll see something about that in a minute. But the woman uh, was caught in adultery. Once the Pharisee... This is John chapter eight, verses three and on. I'm not reading all of it. I'm gonna paraphrase some of it. But I want you to see this. The Pharisees brought a woman to Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery. Now... Why did they let the man go? That's the thing I don't understand. And that's simply not right. So you can see this built-in hypocrisy. But they intended to use her to trap Jesus, which is a horrible horrible thing to uh, to put this woman through. They came to Jesus and they said, the law says that we should stone her. What do you say? Well, Jesus refused to answer very quickly. The Bible tells us he sat down and he wrote on the ground with his finger. And actually... There's a verse in in the Old Testament that says, um, for those who depart from the Lord, I will write their names in the dust. Maybe, who knows what he was doing, but we don't know what he was doing. But um, Jesus is pretty remarkable. So he's in a conflict. They're really going at him. So what does he do? He sits down (laughs) starts messing in the dirt. Well, they kept asking him. So finally he arose and he said, he who was without sin among you, Let him throw a stone at her first. Then it says, being convicted by their own conscience, they went out one by one, beginning with the older, oldest even to the last. Then Jesus stood up and he saw no one but the woman. What do you think he said to her? My dear woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So in two short responses, here's what Jesus did. When he said, my dear woman, where are those accusers? He broke off that spirit of accusation and shame. I really believe that's what went on there. And the power of his forgiveness was demonstrated. So how does Jesus treat someone even caught in the middle of something like adultery, a betrayal, serious immorality. How does he respond to her? What does he call her? My dear woman. My dear woman. Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? I believe the accuser is always accusing everybody at all times. I believe spiritually insensitive or spiritually unaware people don't understand that the source of lot of their confusion and weakness is this relentless subconscious attack of the devil. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It goes on all the time. You feel belittled and nobody's belittled you. You feel less than and nobody's even done that to you. Not recently, maybe sometime. But I believe that's one of the things Jesus wants to do is break off of us the power of accusation. My dear woman, where are your accusers? All right, the next story is in John chapter 4, verse 13. And this tells us the story of the woman at the well. And in that story, Jesus came to a city in Samaria to drink from Jacob's well. And he ran across the Samaritan woman there and asked her for a drink of water. Well, the woman said, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so automatically Jesus has broken convention with social norms in two ways, by speaking to a Samaritan and by speaking to a woman. That was not the norm. During that conversation, Jesus told her that if she'd ask him for water, he would give her living water. She'd never thirst again. So when she asked for that water, Jesus says, go call your husband and come here. Is that a bizarre response to, uh, yes, give me that water. And Jesus says, go get your husband. And she says, I have no husband. Now, hear all of this in the context of the kindness of God. Jesus says this to that lady. You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you well spoke. Can you imagine? By word of knowledge, by an insight, Jesus People call it reading your mail or having your mail read. Jesus knows this about this woman. And his sole intent is not to reprove her, not to rebuke her, but to bring her into a place of truth where that the grace of God could give her a drink. You see, grace and truth come together. A lot of people don't have grace because they don't tell themselves the truth. The law came by Moses. That's one thing. Another thing by, came by Christ Jesus. What was that? Grace and truth. I think grace and truth is really just one thing. Cause when you break them apart, neither one of them work. If you, if you have the truth and you don't have any grace, there's something wrong with that. But if all you got is grace and it's not connected to reality and the truth, that's not real grace either. That's something else. Both of them come together. They're married. A friend of mine used to say they're married. You don't get one without the other. So when she says that and Jesus responds, she says, you must be a prophet. (laughs) And Jesus continues the conversation. But once again, he uses this term with her, dear woman. And in that process, he revealed to her that he was the Messiah And that he was also the one she and many others had been looking for. You have to go back and read that portion of scripture. There's so much in there we can't get to. But the way Jesus spoke to her had such a profound impact on her life that she, having gone to Jacob's well, having met Jesus, having been imparted this grace, left her water pot and went back home without it. Do you know why? She wasn't thirsty. She forgot it. Because she had met someone and something, some character, some, something about him that profoundly changed her mind. She went back to, I think it's Sychar, that was about a quarter of a mile from the well. The whole town got stirred up when she gave her testimony. Come see a man that told me everything I ever did. That's what she said. Come, come, come see a man that told me everything that I ever did. Now, the Eastern Orthodox Church claimed that that woman became a great evangelist, that she died by being thrown in the bottom of a well and left. And she had four children. They all died as martyrs too. This woman was radically changed by this encounter. This was no simple thing that happened. She was radically changed, so much so that when she went back home, she stirred that whole town up and Jesus came back, and then they got stirred up because of Jesus too. But they discovered that God is kind. Could it be that God is actually kind? Could it be that the essence of God, we say God is love, Well, what does that mean? What if he's kind? I love that. Let's say this together. Could it be that God is actually kind? kind. In John 19, we, we find Jesus being crucified. And there were, I think it was seven different things Jesus said while he was on the cross. And one of them we find here in John 19, verse 24. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that was John, standing by, Jesus said to his mother, Dear woman, behold your son. Then he said to John, the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. Now, you you have to put this in context. Jesus is beaten virtually in reality, not virtually, in reality, and he is almost dead after having suffered terribly for hours and hours. Now, when you've had a really, really bad episode and you haven't gotten enough sleep and you've got some aches and some pains, what is liable to come out of your heart is the worst part of who you are in any kind of of legitimate pressurized situation. How many of you listen to me? How many of you hearing that? So when Jesus has been completely and totally exhausted and expended and is in misery, is in agony, what comes out of his mouth to his mother? Dear woman. Now think about Mary. Mary. Mary is watching all of that happen to her son. Can you imagine? How many of you have ever seen your child bleed? I've saw one of my kids bleed. That's probably the only time in my life I almost fainted. That's right. It's profound. She has watched this go on. She is standing right there. Who knows what she's thinking? It's agony. Her child, she knows who he is more than any other living soul. He's expiring. He's miserable. And she could even be thinking, what's gonna happen to me when he dies? And in the midst of all that though, what words did Jesus use? Dear woman, the kindness of God. See, at the bottom of everything Jesus was, there was still kindness. When there was nothing left in the tank, there was still kindness. Have you ever been there where you couldn't take another step, you couldn't think another thought? That's where Jesus was. But it's the kindness, the kindness of God. Then we have Mary Magdalene at the tomb. She goes to the empty tomb after jesus is buried and she discovered that he's gone she thinks someone has taken him has taken his body away and as she's weeping there she runs into this man she saw these angels i don't think she realized she was talking to angels she was trying to find jesus but when she turned around and saw jesus she didn't know that it was him and jesus said what to her dear woman why are you weeping whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And when Jesus said her name, she turned and said to him, Rabboni means teacher. She said, teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brother, brethren and say to them, now this is so profound the message Jesus gave Mary i'm sorry yes Mary Magdalene i am ascending to my father and your father and my god and your god and the thing that struck that about me was what is it to take jesus what is it to take jesus yoke what's the reality of that connection It's that Jesus' father is my father. We don't earn a place. We've been given a place. We've been born into a place. It's not about achieving. It's about receiving. And so that's what Jesus says, dear woman, I want you to tell all the brethren I'm ascending to my father and your father. Let's say that together. My father, your father. I believe that's the father's heart really is that we would know him that way. And I'm amazed whenever I preach, whenever I try to preach, when I prepare to preach, I will generally feel the very opposite of what I'm communicating I felt no kindness last night. That's the way I knew my message was real. If you've never been in these kind of battles, you don't understand, but if you, ha- if you know, you know. <laughs> oh, thank God. Who loves Jesus this morning? Come on, let's give Jesus an applause.